What impact will central bank digital currencies have on the financial system? There's been a great deal of activity among central banks and the Bank for International Settlements around developing and experimenting with central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs. It is clear that CBDCs, depending on their design, could have a profound impact on the financial system and even society in general. Hi, I'm Justin Pugsley, editor of Global Risk Regulator. And if you'd like to learn more about the publication, please contact my colleague, Ella Jacob at ella.jacob at ft.com. To discuss the potential impact of CBDCs, I'm delighted to introduce John Velisarios, Blockchain and Multi-Party Systems, Digital Assets, Custody and CBDC Lead at Accenture, and Kimo Soramanki, Founder and CEO at FNA. Kimo has previously worked for central banks such as the European Central Bank, the New York Federal Reserve and the Bank of Finland. John, let me start with you. Most of the world's central banks have CBDC projects, uh, but the language about them from some of the leading Western central banks is quite cautious. So do you think dollar, euro, yen or sterling digital currencies are inevitable? Um, and if so, within what time frame? Um, it's an excellent question. I think we, we sort of, um, I think, have come to the conclusion that these are, it's an inevitability, I think, in terms of CBDCs with the leading sort of uh, central banks around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the time frame is the magic question or the million dollar question, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> uh, as they say. Um, I, it's, it's really hard to predict. And every time you try to, you try to sort of uh, give a, a range, I think in terms of days, it's always, it's always going to be off. But if I look at sort of what's happening around the world with um, current projects that are there and also sort of looking at the wider uh, uh, sort of implementations that are happening and, and, and various projects. I would say that this is a, it feels like it's a two, three, four year time horizon around um, them being implemented, perhaps a little bit longer as well. I think for some of the larger economies um, and the larger central banks and the reserve currencies of the world and so on, I think there is more to sort of manage and deal with, uh, more challenges to deal with, uh, of course. Uh, and I think it has to be very deliberate and very, very well thought through. Um, but I think it's an inevitability. Uh, the question is the time frame, of course. Yeah, no, indeed. And, and Kimo, what, what's your view on that question? I think it's pretty much the same. Um, um, I think 25 years ago when I, when I started in central banks uh, and there was actually a sort of a early CBDC in, in Finland uh, called the Avanta. Uh, but I think at the, that point of time and even 10 years ago, everyone was thinking that, that there's too big of a single point of failure around the cryptography uh, that, um, that central banks didn't seriously start to think about these uh, type of things. But now with uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies has been running for a while, I think there's more, more the... Um, the view that technologically maybe we're getting to a state where it's possible uh, to issue central bank digital currencies. And then there are a lot of uh, drivers uh, at the moment that are pushing also towards central banks issuing like uh, related to, uh, to um, sovereignty, uh, related to uh, financial inclusion, uh, the COVID and so forth. So, uh, so I think the uh, last year and two has really accelerated the, uh, the idea that uh, central banks are starting to seriously getting into um, into the business uh, and um, and the, then it's more more about the timing and uh, 
I mean, the investment cycles as well uh, when when it happens in different countries. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, certainly we've seen a lot of stuff coming out of the BIS um, about CBDCs and uh, crypto um, or stable coins, that sort of thing. But anyway, Kimo, maybe you can go first on this next question. Um, for things like cross-border payments between individuals, blockchains can certainly deliver big cost savings. However, when we look at wholesale financial markets, money transfer costs are relatively low, as was pointed out recently by a Fed official. Um, so can blockchain technologies really do better than these well-established, well-understood legacy technologies within wholesale financial markets? Um, that's an excellent question. I, I think, but maybe just on the first one about the um, about the um, cost savings for for cross border payments. I think we've already experienced uh, a lot of cost savings for cross border payments by the uh, by the fintechs, uh, by Revolut's, uh, Transferwise, or Wise, uh, and others, um, as well as then uh, then the Swift GPI program uh, that uh, brought down the uh, the time it takes. Uh, um, uh, to do uh, cross-border payments, I think we've already experienced a lot of that. I think for the, um, it's always a, a, a battle between technologies. How can you uh, replace an incumbent technology that is very good? I think that's going to be, of course, much harder than uh, building in areas where you don't have an incumbent technology and, and building from uh, from ground up, like what happened in uh, in Africa with the uh, mobile mobile um, phone um, like network building and and uh, adoption um, because they didn't have landlines. So uh, I think it will be harder to uh, for 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 new technologies to enter markets where we are already well served with uh, with existing fast uh, and cheap payment methods. So. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, and, and John, what, what are your thoughts on blockchain technologies versus legacy systems in wholesale financial markets? Yeah, um, I, I just wanted to add a couple of maybe a couple of points and a couple of thoughts re regarding that. I think I think when we when we look at that for cross border uh, wholesale, and also retail to a certain degree, but the wholesale specifically in the wholesale uh, area, we look at CBDCs as a new format of money, a new format of central bank money, to be precise. Yeah. And I think with that comes different things, and I think it's not necessarily about the speed, although the intention is that it's faster and it's instantaneous and it's sort of a liability of a central bank basically and, 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 and eliminates counterparty risk in the process of, of, of a transfer of, of money and so on. Uh, so it's not just about the format of money, but also the geography of money. And what we mean by that is um, there are, there can be, I think, in, in the implementation of these wholesale CBDCs, entirely new ways of transacting. Um, and imagine a scenario where you have central bank money issued in one jurisdiction used to settle transaction in another jurisdiction. I think that will transform sort of the financial ecosystem and financial markets. And I think this is the part that is really exciting. It's not necessarily about the costs because um, that is obviously a, d a dimension and it's a lever that, that current systems and the incumbents can sort of play with and, and so There's on and also time. Extra functionalities, basically. Exactly. Exactly. So the new functionality behind that, I think that is really the the driver. And, and, and that functionality can... In, can create entirely new models of transacting, and I think that's where the that's where it becomes really exciting, and and perhaps it's not just cheaper and faster, but it can do entirely new things that, that we never dreamt of before. Okay, well, that, that, that's that's a, a very very interesting thought. Okay, John, um, just just moving on a little bit. I mean, central 
bankers. Um, they've expressed concerns about fiat currency backed stable coins. Often it's being via reports from the BIS, for example, you okay. know, that they could undermine uh, the monetary sovereignty of central banks and even pose systemic risks. In your view, are they correct to worry about stable coins? Um, I, I think they're filling the stable coins are filling a need in the market, and it actually shows it demonstrates that CBDCs are are the timing is right to start launching them. I think uh, I think they, they they serve a market need and 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 have um, uh, value, of course, because people are using them to settle transactions and so on. Um, I think in terms of um, whether they should be heavily regulated out of existence or whether they should be sort of um, you know, challenge with CBDCs, I think we'll end up with a tapestry of different alternatives. Stable coins serve a very specific need, a market need. Yeah. Um, they are, um, in the absence of a CBDC, they have some functionality that is useful. Uh, with, a CB, with CBDCs implemented, they could potentially um, become less useful in certain type of transactions, but I see them sort of coexisting. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, um... Yeah, I mean, did you have any ideas where they might be able to carry on, you know, carving out a niche? Would it maybe some programmable functions or some voucher-like characteristics maybe? Indeed, yeah, I think there's some functionality where you're looking at um, those areas where uh, they can uh, provide certain features that a CBDC isn't, isn't really in the remit of a, of a central bank currency in order to provide. And I think that's where it can become interesting and their coexistence, of course, with, with other central bank monies. Sure. Okay, lovely. Okay, Kimo, what, what's, your, uh, what's your view on this whole stablecoin debate? I think there are already a lot of like um, private uh, currencies circulating around, private liabilities. So I think uh, they, they serve, serve a purpose. Um, I think the central banks, um, when I was also at the European Central Bank, for example, uh, we were constantly looking for different types of uh, claims that would have more sort of like payment related functionalities and whether they would uh, be a threat to the confidence of the current in the, in the currency. Uh, and uh, then um, maybe like think about taking some action if, if that becomes more real. Um, and but most of the cases, these have always are always rather small, and if, if they remain in in for specific purposes rather than becoming widely accepted for to pay for everything, um, I think um, probably the central banks will just leave them alone. I think though, as part of the CBDC discussion, is also to start taking more thought into the regulation of. Uh, of um, these digital liabilities that uh, that circulate around in the same way that, uh, like at, at some point of time, uh, the legislators uh, uh, said that issuance is of cash is uh, is a monopoly by the central bank. So we'll probably see some type of legislation like that come also in the digital space, as as, as space as the CBDC and conversations and plans and uh, legislation uh, comes uh, um, gets more developed. I mean, talking of uh, re regulation, um, I mean, do you think the, they'll they'll try and regulate, if they do indeed go down that road, do you think they'll try and regulate these, um, uh, you know, the, the organisations behind um, the, these currencies, um, stable coins rather, like money market funds or banks or shadow banks? Um, because I think, yeah, eventually I think they will all become part of the existing uh, regulation. So either they're issuing securities um, uh, or either they are uh, coming to the derivatives uh, regulations or maybe they are currency. So I think those the conversations are already going on. Like what are these uh, different forms of, uh, 
of claims and what kind of uh, regulations should they be getting um, or, or, be, or, or be folded into the existing uh, regulations that we already have. I, I mean, John, bef- before we move on, I mean, do you, do, you, um, do you have any views on what might be the most appropriate form of regulation for stable coins if indeed regulators decide to go down that road? That's a that's a difficult question to sort of um, I guess answer from a regular as we're not a regulator necessarily, but I think what we see sort of is I think um, there will be indeed uh, elements of regulation that will come in. I think from a stablecoin perspective, um, it's hard to see how far it'll go, uh, and also of course which jurisdiction. Um, and I think some of this will sort of some of these stable coins will foster sort of innovation and creativity in the marketplace and so on. I think when it becomes uh, closer to sort of where, you know, you're getting into potential for investors to lose their money or, or sort of households to sort of uh, compromise their, their life savings and things like that, their savings and so on. I think that's where it becomes very uh, difficult. I think, and the regulators need to play a role of course in, 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 uh, um, in that area, but I think uh, the the challenge, of course, is that a lot of the, a lot of these you know implementations that are out there, stable coins and and various other you know uh, options uh, and, and solutions that have been implemented, um, begin to get very. There's a lot of gray areas between them, so it's hard to really understand all of what they're doing. And I think that's part of the challenge. The regulators need to come up to speed with regards to. What are these stable coins? Are they the alternative forms of money? Are they an investment vehicle? What what exactly are they providing? Uh, are they a coupon or, or what have you? And I think in, in many respects, that's where I think the challenge will be in terms of understanding what they provide um, and what needs what needs to or maybe not need to be regulated. Yeah, no, I mean, all, all excellent points. Very, very good point. Yes, there is a whole consumer protection angle as well that needs to be considered. Um, Okay, well, let's talk about CBDC designs. There's a retail model and a wholesale model. Developing countries tend to like the former for reasons to drive financial inclusion, whilst developed countries seem to prefer the latter. Um, Now, John, can you discuss the pros and cons of each model and their likely impact on traditional financial institutions? Sure. Um, I I would also like maybe just to clarify that in some advanced sort of uh, economies as well, there there are there's a lot of talk about retail models as well, Um, and it's not necessarily just for financial inclusion, but also to provide alternative um, uh, alternative payment rails and as a means for providing a level of resilience in the wider economy. Um, So so I think there are there are. If I look at sort of all the examples that are out in the marketplace, I think there is a, a wide variety based on jurisdiction of interest uh, on one or the other. But I think um, I would like to also introduce not necessarily another model, but maybe a more a generalization, a general purpose CBDC that does both. Uh, because I think in many respects, if you start with a retail proposition, a retail CBDC implementation, you sort of get wholesale for free in, in some respects. And I've said this, I guess, in, in a number of presentations as well, because the complexity of the complexity of retail versus wholesale uh, is, of course, much higher uh, because you're dealing with consumers and you're dealing with a whole host of other things that you, you, you wouldn't have to if you dealt purely in a wholesale uh, implementation. So I think the, um, but the solution itself, I mean, the implementation, the solution, the art design, the architecture, the, the overall approach, 
um, could be very consistent, consistent throughout, whether it's a retail or a wholesale. Uh, I think where it gets fuzzy or where it gets more complicated, of course, is when you're having to deal with end users and consumers and, and, and what does it mean for them? And I think that's where the challenge really lies, I think, for, for retail uh, implementations or applications, because explaining to a consumer that, that digital central bank money uh, exists and how does that compare with you know, the current you know, methods of payment that they have in their wallet already? Yeah. And, and there's a, a plethora of those different payment options, um, be it sort of mobile phone payments, Apple Pay, Google Pay, and all the different sort of uh, methods there, but also credit debit cards and other digital forms of payment as well that exist uh, in, uh, you know, readily available. So I think from a consumer point of view, um, making the case for it is not straightforward because you also have to explain what is central digital central bank money. Yeah. Um, and also, wait a minute, isn't my money that I have in my bank account digital central bank money? And so then you have to go through, you know, an, an explanation around that as well. So I think there's, there's, there's an element of, of, of uh, education and awareness on the retail side. On the wholesale side, it's much more straightforward because you're dealing with, you know, trusted entities that are all, you know, uh, uh, closed community of, of trusted financial institutions and intermediaries and so on that, that, uh, understand the space extremely well and, and try to derive benefits uh, from a uh, wholesale settlement and application perspective. But I think the re if I look at sort of the real value for implementations, I think is, is in the areas where there is the most friction. And I think, of course, uh, it is very geogra geography dependent, very jurisdiction dependent, um, and also um, also is is driven by uh, strategic topics, uh, nation-state uh, agenda items as well. So if you look around the globe, why are various central banks pursuing some of these things, uh, these initiatives? And it'll be very much dependent on, on sort of where they are, where they want to be um, from their own central bank and, and economy as well. Okay. Right. Well, well, well Kimo, what, what are your thoughts on this topic? And, and maybe, you know, if you could give some views on the, the models that are most likely to be adopted and you know, uh, across develop, developed and developing countries. Yeah, um, I think I would agree a lot with what John already said. Um, I think the benefits that societies will get are going to be much higher in the retail space than in the uh, wholesale space. We already have digital uh, versions of uh, large value payment systems. Um, so the, uh, the added uh, functionalities that a CBDC can bring to that space might not be so large and could also be actually delivered with the current technology. So you don't need a, in a way, a blockchain or a tokenized form of, a, of, a, of money that is issued only in the wholesale space. Um, um, and I think many of the modernization projects that we currently have ongoing in the large value payment space, they don't actually consider a CBDC model there. And uh, usually those have investment cycles of 10, 15, 20 years. So that might, uh, at least for many of the modern countries come, come much later, in like including the UK, we have a large modernization project going on. Um, and on the retail space, on the other hand, I think there are loads of uh, benefits that, uh, that can be reaped uh, from uh, replacing cash, uh, cash making uh, payments available to people who uh, don't have bank accounts, the unbanked. Most of the world's population, by far majority, I think there are 8 billion unbanked people in the world, uh, don't have access to uh, digital forms of payments to make payments online. Um, so I think there's much more um, benefits um, globally on the on the retail side of things. 
um, um, including also countries that are already developed. The, 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 the reasons might be different, like John said, might be related to, uh, to, um, to being more um, 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 sovereign about uh, the payment systems that you have. Uh, uh, being uh, more, um, uh, having more, more uh, different alternatives for technology. When uh, when you have uh, have um, cyber attacks uh, from uh, from nation states uh, and other types of considerations that are equally important, or the considerations from treasuries, uh, being able to uh, to um, issue uh, um, directly to people um, um, subsidies or other types of uh, benefits uh, rather than going through the banking system for that. Uh, I think the uh, the retail CBDC will have a much bigger impact as well for the existing players, uh, the card companies, the banks, uh, um, depending how you how you design it. And uh, we've actually developed a simulator uh, to simulate um, the parametrization and design of, of retail CBDCs uh, so that um, these type of conversations can begin um, should there be a cap on the uh, on the balances? Uh, should there be a cap on the payment sizes? Uh, how can we bring a CBDC without uh, completely uh, destroying banks banks balance sheets uh, through disintermediation? There's loads of questions uh, um, uh, around uh, how how do you how how should a central bank uh, bring in a CBDC that uh, is adapted well enough? So actually actually it has adoption, uh, but it, it's not adapted too much so that uh, it's sort of a uh, takes the um, the um, business of uh, all the other players in the in the payments markets uh, away. Uh, so, what is the sweet spot? And uh, those are the type of simulations we we can do with the agent-based modeling is to uh, build the uh, build the uh, um, build the economy or the payments uh, systems and the markets uh, in a in a miniature form on the computer and uh, and then run simulations uh, to see what kind of uh, parameters you should have for the for the system. I think. Um, uh, for the uh, what, what will what will happen is something quite cautious in the beginning, uh, because central banks are very uh, uh, risk averse. Uh, that will maybe used in some niche areas, maybe in conjunction with some uh, some government payments or or, or, or other types of, uh, of payments that are, that are in a way the, on the control of the government, um, and uh, and then have that adoption run from that. It will not be a a adoption like a WePay in China, where like in a matter of a few years everyone started using it. I, it will be much more cautious. I mean, Kira, just just to quick, quickly wrap up on, on this particular topic, um, is it possible to design a retail CBDC that does not disintermediate banks, for example? Because you, know, you can have a situation where you undermine their deposit base, their ability to be funded through deposits, which you know a lot of regulators view as a very important form of funding as being good for financial stability and so on. So is there a way around that? Because that that was an early concern. Yeah, but it really depends what are the policy goals for that CBDC. Is it to um, to be able to reduce fraud in uh, in in welfare payments, for example? Is it uh, to provide a means of payment um, online that is a backup for existing systems uh, if, if there is a cyber attack? So I think it really needs, needs to start from that. Uh, so what do we do it for, and what kind of policy goals uh, or or, or or um, agendas do we have in, in bringing in the CBDC and then uh, figuring out the parametrization so that um, it uh, does its, uh, it fulfills its goals, but has uh, very few unintended consequences. And those are the types of things that uh, when, we, when we build this uh, simulation model, we can see what could be the unintended consequences if I just do certain things and what kind of parametrizations like uh, caps on the balances or or other types of um, uh, incentives uh, that uh, could be put on it, or or that it's only used for certain types of payments initially. 
uh, could be um, um, put there so that uh, so that we achieve the goals without uh, without um, um, creating um, new risks. Okay, and and actually, uh, John, just quickly, do, do do you have any thoughts on the retail CBDC and sort of disintermediation debate? I do. Uh, just to add, I guess to 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 the discussion here, um, we believe in a two tier model uh, where. Uh, we, where we see sort of the commercial banks play a key role in both the distribution of, of CBDC, similar to how they distribute banknotes today through ATMs or through the branch network, and also retaining or maintaining sort of the relationship that they have with their con- customer base, their consumer base, mm-hmm. uh, where they do the KYC and AML today. I mean, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is a new format of money and not necessarily as a competing sort of interest by central banks to sort of compete with sort of uh, commercial banks. So I think it's an important point because that also, that also drives the kind of architecture and model uh, that could be implemented uh, into sort of the, with these kind of solutions. And I think this is an area where we, uh, through through our engagements and, and various other sort of projects, have come up with sort of this this sort of two tier model design, which is very popular and and, and it's also very um, I, I think it's, it's central banks are gravitating towards that because it it, it feels that it's um, it, it sort of makes the takes the best of every sort of uh, you know stakeholder and, and and puts that into consideration for for a solution design. And I think these are the kind of things that you need to look at as well, specifically in the retail where you have obviously a massive consumer base and you need to maintain those kind of KYC AML relationships that are already there, uh, but also the trust of how you can distribute money and in exchange for deposits. I think in many respects, we sort of overlook the fact that, um, you know, we talk about central bank digital currency, but uh, for a consumer to obtain a digital format of this new format of money, they have to exchange it for something else. And, and, and typically that would be a deposit that they would have in a, in a commercial bank. And I think this also sort of plays to the, to the sort of this two-tier model where you have central banks at the top and commercial banks distributing central bank money in the format in the same approach that they would, they would for uh, cash and ATM, for instance. Right. Okay. Thank those for interesting thoughts, John. Okay, Kimo, um, <clears throat> there's been much discussion about programmable money. Uh, do you think we'll see programmable CBDCs maybe linked to, I don't know, stimulus programs, to spur consumption, for example? You know, you could imagine a central bank or a government distributing money to stimulate the economy in order, you know, but it's got to, but you have to spend it within three months or something. Or they could do things, programmable CBDCs, uh, linked to some sort of socio, other socio-economic aims. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think definitely. I think that's uh, one of the uh, key features. I think that will be very interesting to uh, to governments uh, to be able to um, to issue. Uh, uh, money that can be used only in supermarkets. Uh, the COVID checks would have been a great way to kickstart the CBD, CBDC um, uh, to, uh, to give people uh, money to spend um, extra money. Um, and um, I think, and those are the type of things we're actually already seeing in, in without the CBDC uh, markets to be built on top of uh, existing uh, infrastructures. So, so I think just related to that other question previously, I think it's super important that we 
we, when we develop the CBDC uh, systems, we develop in such a way that innovation is possible on, on top of the, the technologies and, and uh, an ecosystem builds, that, uh, builds up there that takes advantage of all the possibilities that we don't know what they all are. Uh, we're seeing, uh, for example, just an example, my, my direct debits used to fail if I didn't have uh, like enough money on the account. Uh, but now like it's more smart. It tries it next day, gives me some uh, information that I should top it up. So we're starting to see sort of very, very rudimentary forms of these this payments just getting smarter uh, over time uh, already in the existing um, payment system. So. Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, and John, what, what are your views on the likelihood of programmable CBDCs? I think that, um, well, I, just a, just maybe a, a broader comment. We, with regards to central bank and digital, central bank digital currency, um, having sort of a level of um, encumbered by programmability on top of it, I think that's that's something that we tend to sort of advise to stay away from. And the reason for that is central bank money should be completely unencumbered, just like a banknote is today. It has is completely fungible and and communicates that value and transmits that value in the in the transaction. There, however, um, there are of course uh, numerous uh, applications where you can think of Department of you know, Health or social benefits um, and and various other state depart state uh, departments that want to add sort of or encumber the money basically and say you want to be able to use this as part of a stimulus payment you can use it before the end of the month you need to buy groceries with it and not alcohol or something like that i think there are many ways that you can sort of encumber this money in order to stimulate the economy in order to stimulate sort of and to provide sort of these kind of payments to sort of to the wider population i think that is a different story than purely the, C the pure cbdc story uh, you need to be able to program it, however, and so CBDC uh, should have an element of programmability. Uh, how it gets programmed, I think, should be should fall into the purview of other agencies that that's, that distribute state benefits and other types of uh, of, uh, of benefits on top of that. You can also see sort of other intermediaries um, create new types of. Uh, uh, of financial models based on on sort of that level of programmability as well, uh, and that's where it becomes it can become quite creative. I think for specifically for state benefits and other type of government related benefits, I think there's definitely a, a story to be told around that level of programmability. Um, but just going back to the beginning and saying, you know, CBDC should should in of its in and of itself should not be sort of encumbered in any way. I, I guess you could could wrap them up in a digital voucher or, or, or maybe even some sort of stable coin. But uh, anyway, well, well, thanks okay. for those, those, those thoughts, John. Uh, okay, Kimo, let, let's imagine for a moment um, CBDCs do become a reality. Um, how, how would that transform the global financial system? I mean, for instance, I was watching uh, an interview with the economics historian Neil Ferguson recently. He suggested that such a development could actually weaken US's grip on the global payment on global payment systems. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's exactly the um, the goal of some of the um, projects uh, is to uh, um, is. is to take control of the of the payment system, be in control so that no one else can, in a way, through sanctions, uh, uh, cripple your payment system or at least parts of it because uh, because this is under your control. I think El Salvador uh, that uh, recently um, adapted Bitcoin was just because uh, 
they were quite um, um, uh, dependent on the U.S. providing them cash and coins, uh, and uh, during COVID, that that became difficult. Uh, so there's uh, there's uh, th- these are exactly many of the reasons that uh, many of the uh, central banks and and uh, and governments are looking into into CBDCs. Yeah. Oh, okay. And 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 John, well, what's your view on that? Well, I mean, one of the key um, sort of uh, reasons why many central banks look at um, sort of implementing these solutions is basically sovereignty. At the end, um, it's a sovereign nation state. Um, and and today, with, uh, I guess, the high degree of concentration of payment systems, payment networks, um, the financial plumbing that we have today, um, this has become more difficult for uh, to retain a level of sovereign control over these kind of salu- systems that are in their country. Yeah. As a result of that, um, they they uh, they need to have uh, an alternative, and I think this is it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that it's sort of um, sanction oriented. It could be also finance oriented. In other words, the stability of the country or anything else, uh, geopolitics uh, geopolitics kicking in as well. So I think um, many central banks are looking at how they can. Um, how they can maintain that level of sovereign control of their financial marketplace domestically. And as a result of that, they look at CBDCs as a way to do that in a digital world um, without sort of relying on paper bank notes and, and various other coins and stuff to, to be able to, to sort of supply the marketplace. And I think this is a very uh, sort of a, a recurring theme. Um, and, and I would look at sort of, the kind of projects or the discussions and the considerations, a lot of, of CBDC projects are not your traditional cost-benefit analysis of looking at why do this, is it faster, is it cheaper, and so on. It's, it's more about sovereignty and control, and it's more about sort of um, maintaining that. Um, and, 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 it, and it's right at the heart of any... Uh, financial uh, system of, of a country, and I think that's quite an important point, um, and one of the key reasons why they look at implementing CBDCs. That that implies that in some cases, countries may pursue a CBDC project, even though it may not be running on the most efficient platform. Um, I mean, could could that could that be a case? You know, maybe because it's not the system behind it. Right? quite good yeah i mean regardless of the of the efficiency um the thing is that um, we see that this is a uh, as as a parallel and alternative payment rail at the end uh without requiring sort of the even the commercial banks uh within a country in order for it to operate this is also the social contract that we see between central banks and the citizens of a country or the residents of a country. Um, and regardless of, of whether, you know, it's um, uh, intermediated by the, by the commercial banks or other payments providers or even external organizations. And I think this parallel payment rail, this alternative uh, provides a level of resilience in the economy mm-hmm. um, and, and, and enables people to transact digitally um, and, and regardless of how efficient it already is, um, it's just an alternative. And, and, um, as, and, and again, it provides that level of, of sovereignty control, but also the resilience in, in the wider uh, economy. Okay. 
Okay, lovely. Thank, thank you for that. May I just add, add one more thing there? So we haven't mentioned cash here, which is the current uh, non-digital central bank currency. Uh, so uh, cash, of course, is costly. So um, many of the arguments for bringing a central bank digital currency is about uh, being able to um, offer the public another payment means other than cash. Because um, if you're an island state, uh, if you have a lot of islands, uh, you, know, like you have to carry that cash around. It's very expensive. So that can be a very, very beneficial from our cost benefit analysis as well. Um, the other story around cash is that the, although the cash in circulation is increasing, it's um, its function as a mean means of payments is, is declining everywhere. So it's used, useless and it's being replaced by other digital forms of payments. So there is also the argument that, uh, that uh, maybe the central banks actually should be providing also a digital means of, pay means of payment for the digital world and, uh, and not just stay in, in, the, in the cash uh, side of it. So I think that that's one of more of those uh, arguments and these are uh, different um, countries, central banks, uh, um, depending on their on the situation, um, look at these uh, different drivers differently. Uh, but uh, one one driver is definitely the decline of cash. Okay, well, I, well, that, that's interesting. I mean, no, good point actually. Um, okay, Kimo, this is a sensitive topic. Um, there is a certain level of suspicion that CDB, CBDCs are, will ultimately be about control about the government being able to know everything about your finances at any time. If they are to be widely introduced, how can the authorities and central banks reassure the public that this new form of cash is a net public benefit? Yes, I think a key feature of uh, ca cash is that it's anonymous. Uh, so if you uh, if you do surveys why people use use cash or what they value about it, it's anonymous. And the central banks have been very adamant about it that it should remain anonymous. Have not been, a, even though maybe technically it starts to be possible to start tracking um, like uh, cash uh, more granularly. Uh, they've been very reluctant to do so. Um, I think, uh, you know, like continuing from that tradition, the CBDCs can be set up with, uh, with different levels of anonymity. Uh, and um, and um, I think uh, um, then it boils down whether people trust the authorities uh, to keep that anonymity or, or not. And uh, I think, uh, think, um, think um, probably, probably they, they can gain, gain that trust if, if they want to set this up as anonymous uh, means of payments. Okay, uh, and and John, what what is what is your take on 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 that debate? Yeah, it's a varying degree of I guess anonymity, um, uh, pseudonymity in, in these kind of uh, kind of transactions, and it, these are these become design choices, I think, in solutions. Um, and I think there are a couple of things regarding this to, to consider as well. Um, the first one is sort of. How you design a such a, such a solution, and what is the role of the central bank in terms of how what kind of a, an environment do they want to create for digital money, uh, digital central bank money, and to be used? And I think um, as it is today, um, many many economies, many sort of central banks don't collect this information, don't want this information. It's not really in their purview of understanding sort of individuals' transactions and so on. It is interesting from an analytics perspective to understand velocity of money movement and velocity and, and, and also other uh, how, how money flows through the economy. I think that's more at the macro level than it is at the individual level. And I think from that perspective, it's, it had provides some very interesting sort of understanding of uh, money flows. 
but um, these are design choices that you can you can bake into the solution and and, and will vary in degrees of anonymity um, and how they are implemented. The one thing to consider as well is that um, today when we transact digitally, yeah. There is an element of bank secrecy that is already involved, uh, for instance, in, in our transactions. Um, and and if I transfer funds to you, for instance, my bank would know about it, your bank would know about it, I would know about it, and so would you. Yeah. Uh, and there are not, not many other intermediaries involved in that sort of uh, in that transaction. And I think this is also something that you can you can carry over into the uh, into the CBDC world. Uh, at least baselining it and saying it, it is uh, equ equivalent to or similar to the way you transact today. Uh, complete anonymity, uh, as you probably know, is is uh, very difficult to achieve. It may not even be, really be desirable either. Uh, however, people have an expectation of privacy, and it is one of the key design considerations, of course, uh, for uh, CBDC solutions, and, 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 and very much will play a key role, I think, in... In, in those implementations going forward. No, I mean, those are all great points, uh, particularly from, from a, a, a technical perspective. But I, I just wonder whether they wouldn't need to go, the authorities would need to go a bit further, or the governments even, and maybe set up uh, an, or an independent parliamentary committee to supervise uh, the issuance and use of CBDCs, or maybe even set up an independent audit office or something to track how central banks and governments are monitoring the use of CBTs, something with a sort of high public profile that, that people can, can, can kind of understand. I mean, do you think it would require maybe that sort of thing to really drive their acceptance? Maybe, but I think if you design it, uh, if you design the solution appropriately, uh, it could be, it could be sort of I won't say anonymous by design because of course anonymity is a it's a it's a scale, right? Yeah. Um, but it could be it could, it could preserve high high degrees of of privacy for individuals and their transactions, and I think that's where uh, finding the right balance will be very important. Finding the right sort of um, uh, blend of features and uh, privacy and anonymity uh, in, in day-to-day transactions will be key. There are solutions, of course, that allow you to have very high degrees of anonymity um, and, and how you implement them uh, will also play a key role in, in, in sort of their adoption and usage, but also um, in, in how they get rolled out as well. So there are various solutions that are much more centralized, yeah. other ones that are more distributed um, and they have different features. And anonymity is one of the sliding scale features that you would expect to see in those kind of uh, implementations. Okay, Kimo, just to let you have the last word on this one. Um, so do, do you think you know, we'll need to consider things like parliamentary committees or some sort of special new audit office or something to make sure that you know, these CBDCs are running the way, the way they're, they're supposed to and you know, preserve the right level? privacy and so on? I think uh, that probably the current uh, current um, sort of controls are already sufficient. The uh, central okay. banks are usually under parliamentary control already. Um, I think they are trusted parties uh, and uh, they can uh, they can probably uh, um, convince the public that uh, that the uh, especially through experience uh, that uh, you know like the uh, the payment methods are safe and efficient and anonymous as they've been in the past. 
And to conclude, I'd like to thank Kimo and John for taking part in Global Risk Regulators Regulatory Podcast Series. And if you'd like to listen to more regulatory podcasts, please visit www.globalriskregulator.com. And you can also subscribe via Acast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And finally, I'd like to wish everyone listening to stay safe and well. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.